so Rebecca, you have a email or a question or something for me. Go get, give me this question. So the question is: Are there some people that aren't appropriate for individual talk therapy? Interesting. Are are some people not appropriate? Meaning, it, it like it it's not going to be helpful, or is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, like it, you know, it's not indicated, as they say. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about it. I'm curious as to what generated this question from you. Let's introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Rebecca? I'm uh, Rebecca Bloom. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and a board-certified art therapist in Seattle. So what precipitated this question? Well, this, it's happened a couple times recently, and I got an email just this week of a mom looking for therapy for their adult kid. And it's one of those things like a lot of things haven't worked, and we've heard art therapy is helpful to people. My adult daughter has no insight and denies the diagnosis that she's been given. I'd like to make an appointment with you. Oh, God. Yeah, I... Um used to take these cases because I just generally had a optimistic outlook. But mm-hmm. with personal experience, I have learned that those cases always go south quickly and, mm-hmm. and, and require a lot of headaches and like, you know, emails and phone calls and annoyances that I just don't want to deal with in my life. Um, and uh, because essentially the thing I'm detecting is, and you tell me if this is what you're detecting, is you have someone, who, you basically have a family that's in conflict, right? Mm-hmm. You have a parent or some other family member who is in conflict with another family member. And so you have two people that are fighting for many, many years probably. And then at a certain point, one of them says, this other person that I'm in a fight with, they need to go to therapy because there's something wrong with them. And then the other person's like, F you, I'm not going to therapy. <laughs> and then, and then you know, and but then the person who's like hell bent on pushing the other person into therapy ends up calling us in, in maybe, you know, um, kind of out of desperation or they just yeah. they just had a big fight with that person or something. And then in the beginning what I would hear would be like, oh, well someone else is just being nice and they're they're calling around to get a therapist for their loved one. And yeah, go ahead, bring him in. But what ends up happening is this other person who has a long track record of not wanting to go to therapy is probably still beholden financially to this other person, you know, because they're a kid or whatever. And so they're, they might be in a position where they have to be forced to go to therapy. And so they end up, so this is what would happen is, you know, I get this call and I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. You know, and, and then, um, you know, and then, okay, so, um, you know, what, what times work for you? And I'll be like, oh, well, you know, now normally in a situation like this, we would just make an appointment. But mm-hmm. but I'm actually dealing with a broker at this point. You know, I'm dealing with like a an in between man at this point, and I'm like, oh okay, well I have you know these these times, these times, these times, 
and then the person's like, oh, okay, you know, and they're like, you know, what's your approach to stuff like this? You know, I'm like, oh, well, okay, and I give them my approach, okay. And then <laughs> they get off the phone or whatever, and then they, they, and then, you know, they go to this person, presumably, and have some other series of conflicts with this person. And then the person, you know, calls me back and says, like, well, so none of those times are going to work, you know, and so, so how about, you know, this other, you know, actually, Kirk, could you actually call my daughter, you know, maybe if you reached out to her now in the beginning, again, when I was desperate, I'd be like, uh, okay, you know, and then I, you know, get the phone number, call the daughter, daughter doesn't answer, I leave a voicemail. Um, you know, mom calls me back. Did you call? Yeah, I called, uh, you know, da, 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 da. you know, um, then f if daughter actually does arrive, which, you know, wasn't always the case, daughter plops down on my couch and says like, you know, so what, you know, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> do that? Mm -hmm. And I, and then, you know, it, and I quickly realized, oh, this person doesn't want to be in therapy. And now right. I'm at, now I'm in a position where I have to somehow cajole and again at the beginning of my career because i was desperate i would i would try you know I'd, either i needed hours or the money or the private practice time or something and i so i'd proceed to spend you know as much effort as i could and you know annoyance and sort of blood sweat and tears trying to convince this person that i'm a good therapist and that therapy isn't painful and that you know at the very least we could just hang out and talk and da 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 but at my old age, at 46, I, as they said in the 90s, homie, don't play that. So that was the 90s, right? <laughs> we, we can only hope. I can't remember what decade that was the catchphrase. <laughs> um, or as they said in 2010, ain't got time for that shit. Right. Or what was that? What was that? Um, am I, is this your experience? Yeah. So I think what's interesting, and this was actually said best at this uh, suicidality training that I went to where the very esteemed MD, Mr. Suicidality from Harborview, which for those of you who aren't in Seattle is like the premier crisis hospital for like many states, yeah. said not everyone is appropriate for individual therapy for a variety of reasons. And as a therapist, you're allowed to say to somebody, you're not ready to be here. Yeah. Here's a series of other places that you can go. But I think it's really hard for people to understand that, like, therapy takes motivation. It's not like some kind of passive treatment. Right. Like an ointment or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, in my early career, and I talk with a lot of supervisees about this, because supervisees will take these cases, you know, because they're so desperate in early career. They'll just take anything, you know. And what I'm always telling you, you know, supervisees is whatever it feels like this is worth it to you, it's not. Because okay. not only will a case like this require like 20 hours of annoyance, but you only get paid for maybe one of them, maybe two. Okay. If that, you know, because these are the sort of clients that don't pay too, by the way. You know, these are the, these are the sort of clients that you send the bill to and, and they're like, well, you know, he didn't really help my daughter, so I'm not going to pay for that. Or, well, the daughter's supposed to pay because she's 25 and she needs to pay for that, you know. Um, and daughter, of course, doesn't pay. <laughs> so this is also one of those cases where you might not ever even receive any payment from anybody, you know. Okay. So not only will it sort of drain all this time and, you know, for, for not getting any money, but it, it ruins your life, you know. <laughs> the, the, the average, you know, most clients, they call 
and they're like, I finally found a therapist that has room in their schedule. Oh my <laughs> God. You know, can I come? And you're like, and you're like, well, you know, I, I, the next available time is in three weeks. They're like, oh, I'll take it, you know. And they're there with bells on, you know. And they're like, okay, I've been I've been waiting to talk to you for you know five months. I have so much to tell you. Let me tell you. And then you know, and you provide empathy and therapy and all the things that you got. And they go, you're oh, that was so good. Thank you, you know. And they walk. That's normal, okay. <laughs> To have a situation where someone is basically being coerced. Well, for some people, the interrelational process of sitting across the room from somebody is hard. And either they don't have the ego strength or they're just not ready or it's too triggering. Like I'm thinking of a client who recently just kind of no-showed and disappeared on me. And they would sit across the couch from me and I could tell they weren't breathing they were often glaring at me and it was like there was no relational there was no positive experience happening why, here why do you think they didn't want to be there or what why do you think they were presenting that way i think they were flooded by the relationship I that see. i i kind of asked like you have to look at yourself and then there can be this dynamic in therapy where everything the therapist suggests the client says no that yeah. doesn't work for me. I've already tried that. That doesn't work. Yeah. And we know that resistance is important. Yeah. And it's there for a reason. But, you know, at some point I have to, I have clients that I regularly confront and say, why do you come if you don't want to do any of this? And they say, oh, you're right. All right. I'll, okay. What of the list of 20 things that you mentioned am I willing to do? And we figure something out. But if somebody consistently week after week isn't ready to do any of the things that you recommend you know it's possible that people just aren't ready for some people groups are more appropriate they can like with teens it's common that they do groups or with dbt um this idea that they can hear it from their peers better than they can hear it from somebody in authority so you know unfortunately we live in a world where groups don't exist anymore um but the, so that's what I wrote back to this mom was, you know, I'm I, I'm I'm a solo practitioner, <laughs> like, you know, your relative would be better served doing a DBT skills group until they're ready to admit what their diagnosis is, or going to some kind of intensive outpatient. But they're not going to do that because if they're not going to go to all the other services, they're definitely not going to want to go to a DBT group, right? I guess some of it was psychoeducational for me, for the mom. Because sometimes, and I feel this when I present too, people want art therapy to be the answer. Right. Art therapy isn't any easier for any, for someone than anything else. You know, it's not like all people do is come and draw pictures. You know, it's therapy in the context of art, you know, right? Right. The, this idea that, like, it'll be fun and non-threatening and they'll be this person's buddy all of a sudden. And it's like... Really, people get pretty freaked out like, yeah. with what happens and right. can get pretty overwhelmed. And if that's been their experience with everything else. Yeah. Right. Um, right. It's and, and, and it's sort of insulting, isn't it? Kind of. I think, you know, there's this idea that it'll be nice and fun and I'll build a rapport with someone who's never been able to build a rapport with anyone else. And right. Right. then once that rapport is built. Then you'll stick it to them. Right, we'll hit the heavy stuff, and it's like, eh, yeah. Well, here, like yeah, that. well, here's what I say to people. 
and I try to use it as a psychoed moment myself, is I tell people, so in order for therapy to work in general, it has to be voluntary. People have to want to be in therapy. They have to ask their therapist for something, you know, they have to, they have to want to go. And when they're there, they have to say, okay, my therapist, please help me with X, Y, or Z. Now, X, Y, or Z could be as concrete as something like, you know, quitting smoking or as amorphous as I want to explore myself or something. So, but there has to be some, something they're going there for that they want inside of them. When you impose something on, on somebody, then it doesn't work. You know, it, it, it's akin to sending someone to get a vaccine who doesn't want the vaccine. You know, the, the person, if they're an adult, they're going to walk in there and go, uh, you know, uh, you know, why are you here, sir? And they're going to be like, I don't know. My mom dropped me off and made me show up. And they're like, and the, the doctor isn't going to just stick the person with the vaccine um, unless they ask for it. <laughs> they have to consent. And so maybe that's a bad analogy because therapy isn't, you know, like a needle, but... The point is, is that it's voluntary, and so that's what I say. I don't, I don't refer them somewhere else because I, I would assume that any other service would be just as unlikely to work. And what I'm trying to tell this person is, uh, stop bothering professionals. You know, <laughs> like, like figure out another solution. You know, like, I don't know what your situation is, but maybe it's your, maybe you need. To, so that's another thing is I throw out right. to people. Like, I say. I'd be happy to see you. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'd, I've talked with plenty of people in your position, and you seem motivated. And there are strategies about how to alter someone else's behavior that's in your system. You know, it's not obviously guaranteed to work, but there are approaches that are better than others. And as a family therapist, I help people out with that. Um, 99% of the time, that person's like, I don't need therapy. It's it's great. my son, you know. And I'm like, okay, great, you know. Uh, see you later. How's that working? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that that's sort of my approach. If you have a suicidal client who is obstinate, you are allowed to say to them, I can see you're not ready for individual therapy. Whereas what many therapists feel like is they have to continue to see this right. suicidal client when really the client can't tolerate the therapeutic process. And it's okay to say to them, here are XYZ resources. If you're ready for treatment, come back. But, you know, you, you can't kind of abuse the process in this way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, there's this notion that, well, they're, but they're suffering. And so uh, it's my responsibility since they came to me. And that's just not the case. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a contract. It's a two-way street. You know, the, the client has to has to bring certain things to the table, like a willingness to work and a willingness to, you know, some willingness to to have a conversation about this sort of stuff. And if they're not, then people, I think, are completely free to to essentially terminate and and, and say and to provide a recommendation, right? Um, yeah. So if you're sitting on the other side of your on the couch, just glaring at your therapist the entire time, waiting for them to prove that they're trustworthy. Go to one of our therapists because because <laughs> they'll they'll be able to save save that situation. <laughs> Therapy is not happening. You if you are shopping for a therapist, you got to find someone that you feel like you could trust. Yeah. 
and and that's on you. Yeah. Um, not on the therapist. Yeah. Well, good. Interesting. That does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself. Because why, Rebecca? Well, you someone's got it. I don't know. I hope it's you. <laughs>